fighting, hatred, fear. Had enough of the noise? listening. On today's show, we have a very sensitive subject, and I mean very, very sensitive. Um, We're going to be talking about uh, vaccine injury, and I'm going to share specifically a case, a recent case that I had that uh, we've been getting a lot of requests for. Uh, So let me begin this whole conversation with the disclaimer and a compliance statement. Then I'm going to get into why I'm doing this. because this is a, a very sensitive topic, and I'm going to tell you, um, listeners, it should not be, this should not be the way things are. When we have a crisis on our hands, and you know, there's a debate about what level of emergency it is, of course, based upon all the data we have, but let's just say that we have a crisis on our hands. When there's a crisis, it should be all hands on deck. It should be medical professionals in this case working together to share information what are you seeing in your clinical practice that's working what have you read in the peer-reviewed literature that you've put into place that is working what is working because the goal for all medical professionals like myself is to help to help save lives that's what this is about for us that's what it's supposed to be about for us So it hurts my heart that we're 20 months into this crisis and censorship has been on full display since day one. I can't forget about Dr. Chang, uh, who was working in the Wuhan epicenter, and he put out this wonderful video on YouTube at the start of this way back, I think in February of of 2020. Uh, It might have been in March of 2020, but he put this video out and he was talking about his clinical practice that was going on at the epicenter in Wuhan and how they were using IV vitamin C on 50 um, uh, moderate to severe hospitalized patients and how they had a 100% recovery rate and a recovery rate people that were in the study recovered um, three to five days faster on average than the people in the uh, in the control group where they were using standard of care treatment ventilators and Uh, and some pharmaceutical therapeutics and he put it out there and he was telling the world don't worry um, if we just focus on IV vitamin C at high dose and and really employ compassionate care to people it seems like this is going to be something that's imminently treatable Um, that video was on YouTube for I would say a month or so maybe a month and a half before it was um, censored by YouTube And I was like, what is going on here? This is somebody in the epicenter with clinical evidence of what's going on, and he's trying to share it with the world. And YouTube is saying that it violates community standards. The free sharing of medical information violates... What community standards are you violating, you know? So it it, it really set this tone for, oh my God, this is... 
this isn't going to be about us working together. This is going to be about us doing what we're told. And if what we're being told is not being effective, if what we're being told is that there are no, you know, there's no way to prime the immune system, there are no, you know, uh, safe and effective treatments, you know, uh, the politicization, the vilification of hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and the um, censorship of doctors who were using budesonide and things of that nature just became so ostentatious and so obvious that I, I really felt the entire country would be up in arms about this and saying, hey, just tell us the truth. Is there a treatment? Let, you know, let us have access to it. Give us a chance. <sighs> but that isn't what happened. And that weighs on me every day. Every day. Because you, you, you can't be in this business and love helping people like we all do. Most doctors really do love helping people. And know this information. And know that you have really been handcuffed in terms of what you can say, what you can do with, with patients. I think it's unconscionable that patients have gone in, been diagnosed with COVID, you know, um, and even we have history, we have cases where they've been diagnosed with pneumonia and, and then sent home and then sent home with no treatment, no direction, no advice. It's unethical. It's, it really is. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about that. It's, it's wrong. And um, it's something we have to change like yesterday. We have to we have to change this. We have to have medical professionals stepping up and having the courage to speak out about this, to take a stand for what's right, for honoring their oaths, for making sure that we put the patient above all, you know, in, in our in our work, that we work from a very compassionate place. So I'll talk a little bit more on that in a second, but let me read a disclaimer and a compliance statement because I, I am very concerned and I, I, I would be stupid if I wasn't, but I'm very concerned about backlash for this. Can, can you imagine? I, I'm, I'm concerned about backlash from our federal government for sharing a case study with you. It shouldn't be that way, but it is right now. So know that all information shared on Energetic Health Radio is public domain, whether it's a previous something we've, we've recorded, something we'll record in the future. Our position is that it's public domain and for educational purposes only. Information can be shared freely with the understanding that most statements have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, our FDA. Please go to the FDA for a current list of the FDA's position, various positions on therapeutic interventions, and they have uh, quite a few. We are required to inform you that any information presented on Energetic Health Radio is not intended to advise, diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, including COVID. I'm going to read that again. Any information presented on Energetic Health Radio is not intended to advise, diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, including COVID. We are simply here to share information from the heart for the betterment of all. We are not, excuse me, we are required to inform you 
that any information presented on Energetic Health Radio is not intended to constitute any legal advice either. So if those topics are broached, medical or legal, know that it is for educational purposes for us to share information from the heart for the betterment of all. Always consult with qualified, licensed medical professionals and legal experts before enacting any information presented herein or on this site and these radio shows. Please make sure to rely on the advice of people that you trust. In a transparent effort to be in full compliance with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and the Federal Trade Commission, FTC, regarding prevention, treatment, and deceptive practices, 15 U.S.C. 57B and Section 19 of the FTC Act, we are required to notify you that the information presented on Energetic Health Radio is a collection of peer-reviewed empirical evidence and clinical experience, um, but has not yet been evaluated by the FDA for safety or, or efficacy. The views that we share on Energetic Health Radio are not necessarily the views of the America Out Loud platform or the Energetic Health Institute or anyone else. They may solely be my opinions uh, when we share them. But I will say we do our best to make sure that when we share an opinion, we substantiate it with empirical evidence, especially something on a topic of this magnitude. None of the information provided is intended to replace the care and supervision of qualified licensed medical professionals or the legal advice of licensed attorneys. Additionally, and to be in full disclosure with our audience, we do not endorse any products, companies, or services. We simply um, want to share information from the heart for the betterment of all. So why are we doing this show today? One of the reasons we're doing this show today is because uh, I've had many experiences um, that have moved me deeply. And one of them is the story of Simone Scott. So I'm going to provide a link on the podcast. Please make sure to check out this article, circleofmamas.com. I'm going to do just a quick synopsis of Simone Scott's story. Simone Scott was a 19-year-old. Um, with her whole life ahead of her, going to attending uh, Northwest Northwestern University, her lifelong dream. And when you read her story and, and the anguish in her parents, um, it's really difficult, you know, as a parent to, when you get into this stuff, right? She went and got the external, uh, the experimental uh, COVID inoculations, uh, Moderna. And after the first one, began having severe complications um, that were misdiagnosed. She started having nosebleeds and difficulty breathing. Um, presentation looked like a lot of uh, acute myocarditis, which is on the warning label for these now. And uh, she ended up going in and getting the second injection as well. And, and my heart breaks right now as I'm saying this because... She was in a group with a 99.99% recovery rate. And I don't know if she knew that before she went in, but she did something really beautiful. She believed that by going in and getting these inoculations, these experimental inoculations, she was doing something for her fellow um, American. And it was really a selfless act, and it was really beautiful. 
And uh, um, forgive me, everyone. Forgive me. This story just moves me so much. And she, um, her condition worsened rapidly. And it got to the point where she was hospitalized after she was found unconscious in her dorm room. And they recommended the parents that she receive uh, a heart replacement because her heart was failing. And they did open heart surgery. They found a donor. They gave her a new heart. And with the days of receiving her new heart, she passed away. It's heartbreaking because, you know, you think about that as a parent with your own child. I, I don't know how you could not. And I wonder why her story hasn't been shared all over and that we know this name. Like we know other names of people who've experienced enormous tragedies. I can't tell you how many of these stories of injury I'm hearing and have heard. And they hurt every time. They really do. And I want to know these stories because I want to make sure that all of the work that I do on this topic is in their honor, in their memory. This isn't right. And we have to do something about it. So. Uh, thank you so much for listening to today's show. I'm going to get it together. Uh, thank you so much for listening to today's show and reading these stories and honoring these, these people and their families. It's our duty to do that for them. So uh, we're going to take a, a short uh, break here. And when we come back, um, I'll share the case. Thank you. Today, America stands at the crossroads of history. Our actions will determine the fate of our nation. Well, that journey starts here and starts now. We invite you to join us in making the ultimate difference. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters. Turn notifications on and stay in the know. You'll find all that back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs. Uh, I like the Focus and Recall supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short-term focus and long-term brain power with Healthy Cell's Focus and Recall Vitamins. So go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD for a 20% off your first order of any Healthy Cell product. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. 
If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology, designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Okay, welcome back, everyone. So uh, one of the biggest requests that I've gotten uh, in the last several weeks is uh, not just for the uh, mandates, you know, what can I do? My employer is threatening to um, fire me if I don't participate in an ongoing clinical trial. You know, what can I do? We've also gotten a lot of questions about uh, prevention. And I know previously we've done um, an episode on prevention and early treatment. We're really privileged to speak with, um, uh, to be part of a panel with uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and, and Dr. Simone Gold. And I'm, you know, I just sometimes have to pinch myself, you know, to be like, my God, I'm talking to some incredible uh, people, just incredible, incredible people. And, um, but I, I've been getting a lot of questions from people saying, you know, I, I have a friend or a family member, or even myself who, and I've been, I had to get the, the shot you know, it's almost like people are ashamed to admit that they got that. And I don't think anyone should be, you know, um, I think if you got it and you were forced to get it, I understand frustration, but I don't think you should ever be ashamed for any choices that you made. You're expressing on some level, your medical freedom. And I, I, I want you to know, I support you on that. Um, we are all inclusive here at energetic health radio and always will be, if you, whatever you decide is your business and Preferentially for me, I think it should stay that way. You shouldn't have to share your business with really anyone, you know, an employer, uh, uh, you know, going to a ball game, getting on an airplane, you know, going into a building. Why does going into a building mean that you got to show some proof of identification? That sounds uh, like what happened in the buildup to World War II and Nazi Germany uh, to me, you know, where you had to have travel papers and stuff like that. And I'm just, I'm not going to ever support anything like that at all. Um, but I do think people have a right to make their own decisions and, and should make their own decisions. Hopefully they're making their own decisions based upon really solid um, data that they feel comfortable with. And then at that point, you, you know, you roll the dice and you live with the results, whether it's to um, participate in the experimental COVID inoculation or not, you know, you're, you're, it's, there's risks either way. And, you know, and you, you roll the dice with it and you live with the results. So um I've been getting a lot of questions though from people who rolled the dice on getting the experimental COVID inoculations and then uh, started having some significant issues and particularly um, significant issues uh, in their nervous system, significant issues in, um, you know, body aches, you know, reporting a lot of body aches and, and muscle aches, um, significant issues. Um, uh, we've had reports of people developing diabetes um, you know, autoimmune type one diabetes post inoculation. Uh, we've had stories of people just having hair fall out and 
you know, and if you know me and you've listened to any of my work, I've repeatedly been drawing attention to the story of Simone Scott. And uh, I hope, and I mean this, I hope that I'm honoring her life and, and her memory um, and, and the family at the same time and how I present her story um, because her story is, is very, very important um, to me. You know, it's a story that really hit home for me. I don't know if you have had that experience yet where a, you know, you, you, you heard a story of someone who passed away um, due to um, some aspect of this COVID fiasco. Uh, but her story just moved me completely. If you haven't heard it before, uh, you can, of course, look it up on one of the search engines, uh, Simone Scott. Uh, she was a 19-year-old student at Northwestern University, had her whole life in front of her uh, and wanted to do the right thing. She was led to believe that doing the right thing meant participating in an experimental um, so-called vaccine program. And um, unfortunately, she paid for that willingness and, and beautiful desire to do the right thing with her life. And I think that's the tragedy in all this. And uh, um, so if you, you get a chance, it was, it's really a heart wrenching story. Um, it's definitely something that we should all be aware of. And it's something that you should um, consider, um, especially uh, if you're, uh, you have young ones, uh, teenagers and, uh, and preteens and kids and, um, and understand that the recovery rates in, Americans under 18 years of age is 99.99%. Okay, let me say that to you again. According to the CDC, the recovery rate in all people under 18 years of age is 99.99%. And yes, Simone Scott was 19 technically, but she's still in that same general age range where um, recovery from infection is a virtual certainty. In fact, I've never seen stats like that in all my years in medicine. I've never seen something with a 99.99% uh, recovery rate, um, you know, where we were this afraid of it, you know, and I think that's something we have to, we have to keep in mind, you know, what's the likelihood of, of recovery and, you know, and all that. So um, I get a lot of questions though, about, I had to get the shot. I'm now, having some adverse events, AKA injuries, post-inoculation, um, what can I do about it? Cause I'm getting people who are calling me and, um, writing me and are just very scared about this. And they keep asking me about, um, a couple of cases I've mentioned in previous interviews, uh, that I've worked on and I'm very fortunate to have worked on, and I'm very fortunate for there to have been a positive outcome in those cases. Uh, so I, I want to say a couple of things, uh, before we get into the cases. Number one, um, anything I share on this show is for educational purposes only. Um, please make sure that anything that um, I do share that you verify and that you discuss with your medical team before enacting. It's very important. Safety first, always everyone. Okay. Uh, I think it's also important for me to say that uh, there are no guarantees um, uh, and that what I'm about to present is uh, the, to the best of my ability, uh, an objective review of a specific case uh, where of course I'm protecting the patient's privacy uh, in doing so, but that I hope we're also giving hope, if I can say that. You know, I know in this day and age, it's very unpopular to um, 
you know, make claims. And I want to be clear, I'm making no definitive claims here. None whatsoever. I'm just saying this is something that happened. And this is what I think. Uh, this is this is what I think about it, and I think why it happened. So we're presenting uh, in a lot of uh, instances here medical theory, um, scientific theory, and uh, you know, but a successful outcome. And I think it's important for us to be sharing success. I wish we would be sharing successful outcomes much more uh, um, uh, frequently. You know, when we're talking about how many people have recovered and how did they recover and here's a great success story instead of focusing on long haul syndrome and instead of focusing on, you know, the worst possible outcomes and, and things like that. I think those have merit to discuss, but I think they need to be balanced out by really positive outcomes. And the thing that's been really shocking to me in the coverage of, of this entire fiasco, and I'm going to keep calling it a fiasco because it is certainly that, okay. Um, the thing that keeps uh, coming to mind for me throughout this fiasco is how little hope has been shared, how little hope has been shared with people who desperately need it, how little hope about excitement in potential treatments like ivermectin instead it got vilified, hydroxychloroquine instead it got vilified, vitamin D instead it got ignored, which is even worse than getting vilified, um, you know, and some of these other factors. So uh, what I really want to get across to you in, in this long preamble, and thank you for giving me this long preamble here, it's very important because of the sensitivity of the topic, uh, is that I, I want to make sure that we are very clear that I'm making no claims, I'm making no definitive statements, I am saying that this is for educational purposes only, and I am also saying very, very clearly um, that you should always consult with a licensed physician um, and team uh, of medical professionals that you trust and that have a willingness to continue learning because I think that's what makes a doctor a really good doctor. Somebody who admits that they don't know everything and I'm going to be the first to tell you right here. I know quite a bit, but what I know is nothing compared to what there is to know. I definitely do not know everything I just do my best to do the best job I can for the people that I'm privileged to serve. So with that in mind, let's start uh, by saying you can all, you can reference some of this information at covidcon21.com and you can go to our um, prevention and early treatment page where you'll see a replay of the full length video between myself, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Simone Gold. Uh, really grateful to both of them. You can take action on our congressional investigation and grand jury investigations. You can participate in those, and we would be excited for you to add your name to the growing list. We're almost over 100,000 people who signed uh, those, um, those calls to action. You can register for COVIDCon uh, 21. It's both in person and online. So uh, we would love to have you and share with you not only hope, not only connectivity, but also a collaborative plan on how we're going to solve this problem. Uh, I, you can get some information on the background and how long I've been at this. I've been at this since March 12th, 2020, and uh, virtually every day. There's maybe in the last 20 months, one or two days that I've taken completely off, maybe. <laughs> um, and I know you have too, and that's why I'm so grateful for you that you still care about this topic and you care that we get this topic right. Um, but I have proof of my attempts to interact with uh, state 
health officials and urge them based upon the peer-reviewed scientific literature to issue nutritional guidance, which again, sadly was promptly ignored and it shouldn't have been. Uh, we talk uh, a great deal about immune priming on this page and as a preventative strategy. And we talk about it from the perspective of mechanism of action, meaning what's going on at the cell level. So you can understand why vitamin D works, why vitamin E works, vitamin C, vitamin A, zinc, quercetin, bifidobacterium. Um, I'm probably going to add one more in there. Uh, if, if you get to this page before I've added it in, um, lecithin powder, phosphatidylcholine, we're going to add that in there. Uh, it's just, there's so many things that we've learned over the last 20 months that can help. And um, I, it, you're not going to get this stuff from the mainstream media, unfortunately. So you might as well get it from people who really care. All right. That's, that's what it comes down to. We put out some perspective uh, daily therapeutic ranges. Again, this is for educational purposes, and we encourage you before you enact anything to discuss uh, with your licensed medical team whether it's right or, or not for you. Okay, and we strongly urge that. Uh, we put out some uh, key nutrient um, ranges. Uh, how much should you take in the five to 12 age range? We have a section on clinical testing where you can get into um, which tests should be run. Uh, for anybody who is confirmed COVID positive, so that we can understand what their what we can what we need to do to help accelerate their healing process and prevent hospitalization and negative outcomes. Uh, we also put together a, a section on what you can do to test yourself post recovery to demonstrate that you are already immune. So if you don't want to participate in an ongoing clinical trial, that you can say point blank, I the goal of the so-called COVID vaccines are to help uh, usher in immunity, <laughs> right? So with that, so if you already have immunity, then you should be able to demonstrate that. And natural adaptive immunity is robust, durable, uh, flexible. It is um, everything we hoped it would be and more. So I think uh, if you can demonstrate that you're already immune, you should have no not one of your privileges even called into question, one of your civil liberties called into question. So uh, it's something that I'm doing, I'm doing with my family um, to make sure if somebody tries to discriminate against us, we are going to be able to fight that in a court of law, you know, and with sound scientific evidence um, to substantiate our point of view and why we are no threat um, to be, uh, to spread this to anyone else. Okay. It's a shame that we've come to that that level of McCarthyism of, you know, this kind of witch hunt that it's become, but here we are. So let's, uh, let's, uh, let's win with love and, and logic, you know, and bring some light to this situation. We do have a section on long haul syndrome, uh, long haul syndrome. Um, very interesting. Uh, you know, we keep hearing a lot about it, you know, in, in the news, I, I love how the headlines are, uh, one in four to one in three uh, people who've been hospitalized with COVID uh, will experience long haul syndrome. That what they fail to tell you is that long haul syndrome is defined as patients exhibiting symptoms consistent with COVID for longer than two weeks following recovery. They don't, so long haul makes it sound like it's been months and months and months. And there are some cases like that. Don't get me wrong, but that is way in the minority. doesn't mean it doesn't exist. just means that it's not common for long haul um, at all. Long haul just means that somebody it took them longer than two weeks to recover, which for us, we feel is a pretty definitive sign of severe nutrient deficiency based upon what we know 
about the severity of nutrient deficiency already existing before somebody got sick, okay, in this country. Um, we also did a little bit of data analysis on this for you. Uh, so I'll share this with you here. As of September 11th, 2021, there have been 213,218 Americans hospitalized due to COVID, all right? This is according to the uh, CDC's uh, C uh, CMS site that uh, has all the data for hospitals on there. It's very clear. Um, now, some people might say that seems a little low. I agree with you, but I think they might have parsed out some of the people that were hospitalized and tested COVID positive, but really weren't in the hospital for COVID. They might've already cleared that up. So we have 213,218 Americans hospitalized due to COVID since the beginning of this crisis. Um, as of September 13th, 2021, there have been 41,198,957 Americans diagnosed with COVID according to the CDC again. So what that suggests is that um, if we are to believe the studies that say one in four, one in three Americans who've been hospitalized are um, potential long haulers, that means that the, between 53,000 and 70,000 Americans have experienced COVID long haul out of the 41 million who have contracted COVID, okay? What's important, I think, for, for people to re remember is that um, the recovery rates for COVID under 65 years of age are 99.6%. And that uh, what that means is that well over 38 million Americans have recovered uh, from COVID at this point, uh, as opposed to the 50 to 70,000, 53 to 70,000 Americans who have, uh, are still experiencing long haul syndrome. So we did a little quick data analysis on that. And what it showed is that um, between 0.13% and 0.17% of COVID cases result in long haul syndrome. Let me say that again, because it's an important stat. Between 0.13%, so this is way less than 1%, this is less than half a percent, okay? Uh, so between 0.13% and 0.17% of COVID cases have resulted in long haul syndrome, which is to say it occurs but not with any level of significant frequency where we should be concerned about it and certainly driving public opinion with fear-based articles on it, okay, in my opinion. Uh, additionally, on this page, we have recovery recommendations for people who have mild symptoms of, uh, of COVID and hospitalization is not required. We are really big fans of Dr. Pierre Corey and the um, Frontline uh, COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance and what they've done. I think what they've done a wonderful job of laying out um, some really evidence-based treatment protocols, very strong. And we really apl applaud Dr. Pierre Corey and everybody at the FLCCC uh, for their work on this. It's phenomenal. Uh, we add a few ideas into what they uh, are, are recommending and we give a rationalization of why. We talk about L-arginine, liposomal glutathione, seropeptase. We also uh, recommend increasing some of the daily therapeutic amounts for several of the nutrients that they, um, that they recommend. But uh, uh, I, will, I will tell you that their protocol is well-reasoned and, and very sound, and it's already proven its efficacy um, in, in America. We have uh, some recovery recommendations uh, for people who have moderate to severe symptoms. 
where hospitalization is required. Uh, among them, and I think it's very important, is uh, the inclusion of intravenous vitamins. And we have a great study uh, on the inexpensiveness and effectiveness of intravenous vitamins, uh, specifically Myers cocktail with a glutathione push. It is incredibly affordable and it is incredibly effective to help um, prevent cytokine storms and um, inflammatory responses to the infection that go or go completely uh, overboard when a person is severely nutrient deficient. So uh, you can explore those as well. Um, and again, what is this? This is education. We're sharing ideas, which we should always be doing. And whether or not you enact those ideas should be up to number one, your decision, but in collaboration with your medical team. Okay. But we want to share these ideas. So you have available uh, ideas that may be, can bear some fruit for you and the people you love, right? Why are we doing this? Because we care. And if, uh, if that's no longer American, then maybe we need to reassess what being American is because I want to live in America where we care about each other. And that's what I'm going to do. Um, so if you want to vilify me for honoring my oath and loving my country and loving all the people in it and wanting to do everything I can to help them, then you go ahead and vilify me. I can live with that. What I can't live with is being silent when I see people suffering. That's something I will not ever live with, period. And I hope you feel the same. So then it takes us to, uh, we've put together some strategies because some people, we and we respect this and we agree with them. They, they want to get the experimental uh, so-called COVID uh, vaccine. And, you know, and I think it, that's the expression of their medical freedom and they want to do it. I support them on it. You know, I just want to make sure that they do it safely. So one of the things I tell all of my um, pediatric parents when they are considering uh, vaccines uh, for their children is something very simple. Vaccines are artificial infections. That's what they are. You cannot inject immunity into someone because immunity comes from within. Let me say that again. It's an important thing to understand. You cannot inject immunity into the human body because immunity comes from within. Immunity doesn't come at the tip of a syringe, a tip of a needle. Immunity comes because of how your immune system responds to what's been injected into you. That's why we're seeing such an incredibly robust, durable, and flexible. When I say flexible, I mean uh, immunity that's able to adapt to new variants. Um, that's why we're seeing a robust, durable, and flexible immune response, immune system, immunity to future infections from people who have recovered from the infection. I will never say that someone who has, and under these circumstances and with the data we have today, I will never say that a person who has recovered from a COVID infection, a confirmed COVID infection, where we have confirmation of antibodies and we have confirmation of T-cell um, changes, I will never say that that person who is proven to be immune should get the experimental COVID uh, so-called vaccine. Why? Because they're already immune. You cannot become more immune to something. You either are immune or you are not. And what the literature, the scientific literature, the peer-reviewed literature says very conclusively 
is that people who have recovered are immune. What it also says very, very conclusively is that the people who have recovered have a reinfection rate, depending upon the study, of 0.2% to 0.8% within a nine-month time frame. And most of those are suspected reinfections. They're not confirmed in those studies. So what that tells us is something very, very important. It tells us that reinfection is possible, but highly unlikely. Highly unlikely, like long-haul syndrome, is possible, but highly unlikely. And certainly something... We should, no one should be afraid of. And I, in my opinion is reinfection, long-haul syndrome. These are indicative of severe nutrient deficiencies that have gone unaddressed. It's just something, and it's something we can do something about. Now, that's in my opinion, and that is not a definitive statement. I want to be very clear about that on this topic, okay? So um, we're still in this country entitled to share our opinions, I think, especially when we've done the homework and have some level of expertise on a subject, right? So uh, when we're looking at post-inoculation, uh, I say treat it like an artificial infection because it's an artificial infection. Immunity will come from within, so prime your immune system. Give your immune system the nutrients it needs. Give your immune system the nutrients it needs to do its job, and you will reduce the potential of adverse events, of injuries post-inoculation. If you were sick, what would you do? Take some vitamin C, right? You'd have some mom's or grandma's chicken noodle soup. You'd rest. Treat it like an infection. Don't get a shot and then think you're going to go and run a marathon. That doesn't make sense. Okay. That's not a good practice. We also put some, uh, give some um, ideas on. Uh, autophagy, uh, fasting, and we've done a show on this previously. You can watch the whole show to get more on fasting and the wonderful benefits of fasting at the cellular level. But we think it's incredibly appropriate here, and I'm going to tell you a story now about a post-inoculation injury. So I had a patient who um, came home after receiving the Johnson & Johnson uh, inoculation, and that's not to say the Johnson & Johnson inoculation is bad or any worse. I should say any worse than the Pfizer or the Moderna. It's just saying, giving you a fact, that's what he had, Johnson & Johnson. Um, it turns out that when we looked at and did a, got a little deeper into his medical history after we got him stabilized, uh, that the pharmacist, and this is why pharmacists should not be eligible to provide inoculations, the pharmacist thought it would be a good idea to give him Let's see what he got here. I'm gonna I'm gonna read his uh, his his record. This is what he got all at one time in the same day. He got the Johnson and Johnson uh, EUA approved uh, COVID inoculation. He got a seasonal influenza inoculation. He got a um, pneumococcus uh, inoculation. He got the uh, uh, Tdap. So um, really a three in one inoculation, and he got the herpes zoster inoculation. So he got inoculated for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven potential infectious 
microorganisms simultaneously. That's like having seven infections at the same time. Of course, the body is going to have some issues with that, right? So what we did, and it's and you'd be well within your your rights and reason to say, well, how can you say that this is just the COVID, um, you know, inoculation that caused it? I'm not saying that. So let me be very clear. I'm saying the big issue here is malpractice, <laughs> bad practice of medicine. You should not inject a human body with seven inoculations, one of which is experimental. Uh, in in a 10-minute time span and think that everything's going to be all right, okay? That's ridiculous. It's just, there's, no, there's no defensible way you can do that without coming across like a dispassionate, greedy troll, okay? So don't try it with me, all right? Um, so he has a difficult time driving home, and I'm sure you've seen the videos of the people who've crashed their vehicles post-inoculation, right? And those videos are not a secret anymore. Um, there's plenty of videos out there. You can do a search engine if you need to. But he comes, he comes home, and he's in, uh, barely makes it home, um, parks really oblongly, struggles to get into the house. His entire nervous system is failing him. He stumbles and falls several times on the way to his bed. Uh, there are, he's sweating profusely. Um, his respiratory rate is, is dangerously elevated, heart rate dangerously elevated. He's running a high-grade fever and his, he reports that his entire body is aching and he starts going into some convulsions, not seizure, but some physical convulsions. This is a person who is crashing. They're in, all their systems are crashing down because of the overload of the artificial infections and the adjuvants in the artificial infections. This is a toxic dose of multiple um, heavy metals, thimerosal being one of them, uh, in addition to it. So I would never make a claim in a case like this that it was you could pinpoint it to one of these inoculations. It's all of it that's a nightmare, and it's all of it a nightmare because of malpractice, in my professional opinion. Now, um, he um, is, is crashing and, you know, and desperately looking for help. And so I get the call, and I'm like, oh, my God. And I go over to the house, and I'm like, oh, oh, my God. Okay. And I look at the records really quick, and I start assessing what's going on. And I say, okay, first thing we got to keep him hydrated. Okay. Number one, hydration, hydration, hydration. Um, family uh, does not want to take him to the emergency room. I say, that's ridiculous. Emergency room is on the table. If we can't get his heart rate down within the next 30 minutes, it, you know, I'm going to stay here. We're going to watch him very closely. If his heart rate doesn't come down, if we don't start seeing something happening in a positive direction, then we got to take him in, right? The family was adamant that they did not want to take him in. Why? Because they're terrified that when they go into the hospital, things are going to be even worse for him. And that is a very real comment that I've heard many times from uh, Americans over the last few months. Under no circumstances, they want to go to a hospital. And that is, I think, very telling of the incredible breakdown in trust that we have between citizens and our major medical establishment. 
Okay. And I think that's something that we have to address because no person should be afraid to go to the hospital. That should be where you go when you need help. Okay. But that's not where he didn't want to go in and, and the family did not want to bring him in. So very concerning right there. So a lot of variables going on. Um, so I said, okay, well, we have the UCSD um, and Salk Institute study about the spike proteins, right? So I said, okay, here we go. What we're going to do is we're going to fast him, which means we're going to, he's, he's you know, he's uh, uh, north of 60, uh, but he's in, he was in previously in great health, no pre-existing conditions, anything like that, right? So very rare for somebody in that age group, but that was definitely at our benefit. He, um, we make sure he's getting water. Uh, I'm looking up to at, at home IVs in case we need to get some emergency IV uh, on site, which I highly recommend, you know, who can come to your house within 24 hours and deliver and administer an IV. I think that's a wise thing in this day and age to know, because there are services that will come to your house and do that. Uh, we, um, got him started based upon the University of uh, California at San Diego and Salk Institute study. We got him started on L-arginine. We got him started on um, serapeptase, uh, which was not in that study, but something I, I felt as an enzyme could help break down the spike proteins and kind of trim out some of the injury that's going on in his body. We got him started on um, uh, glutathione, liposomal glutathione. And we got him started on because the family wasn't aware of what his previous vitamin D status was. We got him started on a bunch of immune priming nutrients, uh, vitamin D, vitamin C, vitamin A, uh, and zinc with quercetin. So we got him started on immune priming and also bifidobacterium. We got him started on immune priming nutrients and we got him started on uh, some additional nutrients uh, posted for to deal with what was going on, what we know based upon the studies is likely going on in the cardiovascular system. Um, thankfully, and we had him take it with water. So he's not taking any calories in. We didn't want to interrupt any potential fasting or anything like that. It had been a cup, an hour or two since we had eaten before. So I wanted to keep that process going. So thankfully, after we got the L-arginine and the liposomal glutathione in and um, uh, and the serapeptase in, uh, within 30 minutes, his heart rate started to go down. Still muscle aches, muscle pain, still in really agonizing pain. He said his back uh, scale of uh, 10 on a 10 out of, he said it was 10 out of 10 in terms of pain in his back all along his spine. He said it felt like his entire spine was on fire. So, um, you know, stay there for a, a number of hours. Okay. And in, you know, making sure that we're getting dosing in, we dosed him, I think, uh, every, um, hour, hour and a half for several hours for several dosings. You know, I, you know, I stayed there and watched over him and then, you know, and then luckily after about seven, eight hours, he was able to get to sleep. And we monitored him very closely, monitored heart rate, O2 sat, everything on him, even while he slept, checked him a couple times to make sure he was responsive uh, while he was sleeping, just a gentle wake up to see, you know, if you get the body moving and, you know, some kind of rolling over, just wanted to check. And, you know, fortunately, all those signs were good. Um, next day, uh, still problems with his neurology, still had trouble walking. 
um, uh, stumbled and fell one time in the bathroom, um, you know, and, uh, you know, and, but he was still fasting, you know, water with nutrients, water with the nutrients that I had aforementioned. And we were keeping the dosing up about, I think at this point on by day, um, by day one, uh, day two, we were at about four times a day with the dosing. And we carried that through for 72 hours and something really cool happened as he got into the 70, 71, 72 hour mark of, of fasting where autophagy had been engaged for about 54 hours of that 72 hours. Um, nervous system seemed to reset, no more stumbling or falling. He could, he felt like a, he had gotten run over by a train, obviously, but he was able to walk around within three days. He was able to come out and have a conversation. The fever had broken, uh, respiratory rate had improved. Um, you know, to, to normal heart rate had, had lowered still stiffness in his body, but the burning stabbing pain along his spine, you know, saying his spine was on fire gone. Okay. Uh, still some muscle aches as to be expected. His body was likely producing a lot of interferon in terms of response. Um, and then what we did after those 72 hours, after that three days of fasting, we put him on a really great detox, uh, including bentonite clay and psyllium um, and iodine uh, with, um, uh, with some of good multivitamin and those others, those immune priming nutrients and the nutrients we used for, you know, the, um, for uh, the L-arginine, the liposomal glutathione, the serapeptase, we kept those on for 11 straight days afterwards, because I didn't know if we would maybe need to fast him again you know, but I said, let's, let's do three days of fasting. Then we'll do 11 days of strong nutrition with a really short, you know, 11 day cleanse. And then we'll, if we need to fast them again, we'll fast them again. So fortunately by the end of the whole 14 days, three days of fasting, 11 days of nutrient therapy and, and cleansing, he didn't need any more. Um, he didn't need to fast again. And by the end of the 14 days, he said he felt fully recovered. He said he felt totally fine again. So um, really exciting. It, this is a single case. It is, it's not even a small sample size. It's a single case. So please don't go and run with this and say, hey, look at, look at this. Look what's happening over here. This, is how this guy's doing. That's not what's going on here. I'm sharing a single case for educational purposes only. All right, so that you can see the possibility of what the body may be able to do under well-reasoned and compassionate medical supervision. That's all. Okay. Make sure you discuss these things with your physician, with your doctor, with your medical team before you do anything. Don't go grasping at straws because you heard something on a radio show somewhere. Don't do that. That's not safe. It's not wise. But I do want you to be aware that there is potentially hope out there for you if you or a loved one is suffering from a post-inoculation injury, post-inoculation adverse event, because your body is designed to heal. It's our job as doctors to figure out how to support that healing process. In this case, um, Autophagy seemed to do the trick, seemed to be a major player in this, along with well-reasoned and targeted nutritional therapy as well. And I hope that makes sense, everyone.
Thank you so much for listening today. Uh, I hope the information that we have shared from the heart for the betterment of all helps, helps in some way. Please keep in mind our disclaimer and compliance statements in the first segment. And please keep in mind to always, to always consult qualified medical and legal experts before you enact any information that we share on Energetic Health Radio. Safety first, always. And um, we wish everyone the absolute best of luck. May our Creator shine His divine light down upon us all, everyone we love, and surround us in the protection of His warm embrace. Mahalo, everyone. I'm Dr. H for the Energetic Health Radio.